Welcome to the Disability and Podcast, bringing together thoughtful discussion and debate. This month, Disability Arts Online Senior Editor Colin Hambrook chats with Mike Laywood about some of the events Dash have put on and the changes in the arts sector that he's observed over his 25 years with Dash. Hi, and welcome to the Disability And podcast. I'm Colin Hambrook, the founding editor of Disability Arts Online, and I'm really delighted this month to welcome Mike Layward, who was the uh, CEO, artistic director of Dash for over over 20 years. And um, Mike, do you, do you want to um, introduce yourself? Yeah, morning, Colin. It's lovely to be here. I feel like I'm in the illustrious place that many, many great disabled artists and activists have been down. So I'm, I feel very humbled to be here. Um, yeah, so I suppose a quick intro on myself. Um, I was artistic director of Dash from 1999, which seems such a long time ago. And I retired from that role in this year in September, because it seemed like, like, it the arts always needs a refresh and younger people coming through. I'd hit seventy in June, which is a bit hard to believe. That I think when I was in my twenties, I never believed I'd get into anything beyond the thirties. You know, live fast and die young, but it didn't happen. Which I'm glad. I'm loving being seventy. So now I'm an art student. And I'm still working for Dash as a freelancer for the time being on their Future Creators program, which is good because mm-hmm. I feel like you set up a piece of work and it's it's good to better help it along and then give have a proper handover period. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, we're we're going to talk about uh, changes in the visual arts sector over the last 25 years or so. And to start off with, I, I wanted to ask you what what brought you into working in disability arts and and um, and working for Dash. You know, it's interesting when you look back over a big period of time, and it probably wasn't until about oh, maybe about two thousand four, two thousand five, that I realised that I was a disabled person. That I defined myself that way. Up to then. I had worked a lot with disabled people, particularly disabled young people in all sorts of settings. But um, I never saw myself as a disabled person. I think it was until I came into Dash working for a disabled-led activist organization, Shropshire Disability Consortium, learning about the medical model and the social model. Did I come to understand my own life looking back, which is, I guess, not an unusual thing. No, it was a, a similar f- for me as well, actually, in my my journey. Um, it took probably about six years for me to kind of realise that 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 I that I was also a disabled person. That the the barriers that I'd faced had brought me into disability arts and and um, made me excited about disability arts. Um, was that a similar um, thing for you? So. Coming into Dash was such a, a learning and a, such a relief to be coming at it from such a different direction. And working for Shropshire Disability Consortium, I learned so much from the people working there. 
I guess I brought a participatory arts and community arts viewpoint into Dash and then mixing that into disability arts seemed to go really well mm-hmm. with, with a sort of an empowerment and engagement side. And what was your, your connection with the visual arts? Um, I'd worked, oh, I'd been working in the arts since oh, the mid-70s, mostly in um, participatory performance. But then I started also doing things like running a silkscreen workshop and got into carnival. So that sort of making performance crossover. And, and then later on, I went and did a access course in art and design and started a fine art degree part-time before I took the job at Dash. Mm-hmm. So visual arts had always been an undercurrent there mixed in with performance. Were there any particular pieces of work or any particular artists from that time who who um, kind of grabbed you and, and uh, uh, inspired you? Well, I was really lucky that Gary Robson had a long time link with Dash. He directed some of the Dash festivals. So meeting Gary was great because he sort of, he taught me loads. He was a great co-worker. He was very funny. He was also very challenging. And he introduced me to loads and loads of people, you know, people like uh, Caroline Parker, you know, loads and loads of disabled performers. Mm. And I think he just gave me a, a broad view of of how disability arts was working at that time and also he was someone who was always he was a bad boy he challenged things he didn't accept the sort of status quo of the disability arts which it it did feel was a bit rigid at that time yeah yeah absolutely there was there was a sort of uh a, a sense certainly i think towards the end of the 90s where um the 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 code that you were meant to adhere to became came became more and more strict and more and more people being being excluded from disability arts and um it's uh, like the labor party <laughs> yeah yeah it was it was a bit like a keir starmer kind of yeah. conspiracy that was that was happening i i i fought against that from within um london disability arts forum and uh yeah uh and it's the reason why I established Disability Arts Online because, uh, you know, I wanted to free free things up. And I think um, that was probably one of the first times we met, I think, was in those um, days where I, 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 I was kind of, I went, I kind of reached out to um, the disability sector at that time and um set up some some meetings yeah. i got i got a bit of seed funding from from the arts council and set some um meetings up uh and we had a bit of a think tank around um what role disability arts online could perform that was kind of the beginning of the internet really and that was that was really exciting that um there was the kind of sense of possibility of how we could use the internet to to network and to share disabled artists' voices and to 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 critique work, and and can you remember some of your first projects with with Dash? Yeah, I, it was funny because I came in and inherited an 
of the old Arts Council, the Arts, but it would be an Arts Council GP, but it was Arts Council England, but it hadn't been regionalized in the way that the all the regions were independent, or they weren't independent because they got all their money from the Arts Council, but they were looking after their own funding. But it was a national um, fund and structured disability consortium and put in a clear program. But when I arrived, I said, did I have to stick to it? And the great answer was no, which was brilliant because it's always awful to have to do work that other people think is good, but you're not so excited. So. Um, one of the things I was really impressed with things like the Octopus Club that was just starting then, and I'd had done a little bit of work with uh, Heart and Soul had come down to Barnstable and blown people's minds. Like they showed a film about one of their performers being uh, married, having a child, and it was definitely was upsetting some of the people on the committee that the idea that any of their residents would go out and have sex so it was brilliant and I, I thought ah, oh, here in a rural area to have a, a touring nightclub would be great and luckily I had a really big budget so I just spent lots of money and did these sort of they couldn't be all nighters but with, they were running from about 7 30 till about 12 1 in the morning just sort of unknown out here that yeah, things happen yeah. like that and getting a real mix of performers of poets filmmakers dance theater having visual arts up there as well so it was a big thing and then having accessible transport buses organized it was it was a crazy idea you know the budget got spent very quickly and we couldn't maintain the audience we the you know when you try something out you hope it will get a sort of momentum and build up but I guess being in a rural area that couldn't happen because it would people from the urban areas it was just we weren't that well connected say into Wolverhampton or Birmingham or mm -hmm. even Manchester so people weren't going to know about it or travel but it was good it connected I think it connected us up regionally with a lot of different people it sounds like a, a lot of fun as well uh, uh, it reminds me a little bit of your your 2012 moment with the uh um you know when oh, yeah you, the, the the big sort of rural arts festival you created with uh aaron aaron williamson and catherine around yellow doing doing bizarre uh wild things in in ridiculous costumes yeah, that, that was quite an event. That was M21 for the medieval to the 21st century mm -hmm. in Much Wenlock, because I lived in Much Wenlock for about, oh, 10 years. And a strange place, but it was the birthplace of the modern Olympics. And it uh, it was a stupid idea to try and hold an event like that in, in, in a very, quite an isolated place, not easy transport links. But it was also brilliant as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a really good event, and I, we had a little bit of stick because we didn't get massive audiences. And it it was a sense where way where the idea for we are invisible, we are visible. There were definitely stuff laid down there where we didn't do lots of promotion because we wanted a shock thing. Like Naomi Lackmire had two or three people 
who were, she was the baton in a race around town. So they would, every so often, she would start the race by being pulled out of her chair and hoiked over, held by these, a man who would run around and pass it to another man and go around the town. And people were coming up to the stewards and saying, I just saw this woman in a wheelchair being hoiked off and this, this man ran away with her. <laughs> and and so there was that element of that what I love about anything in the streets performance that can be people don't quite know what's real and not real. Disability arts performance has been kind of central, really, to the evolution of of disability arts within the visual arts. Yeah, um, was that was that some was that an opportunity that you you kind of sought to engage with from from quite early on? I've always liked street theatre and live art, and where that sort of street theatre has moved into live art, and I've always liked what what the opportunity of working in unusual spaces and i think think at that time you know it's really only in the last 10 14 years that we've really started to get connected to galleries up to that time we were, were very outside of the system of visual arts we had no connections really with any curators i i to be honest i didn't really understand how properly how the gallery system worked like a lot i mean a lot of artists i was mentoring in the last few years a similar position it seems like an amazing monolithic edifice that you don't really understand how you would ever get the doors to creak open a little mm -hmm. what we what were your first attempts at, at, at um, connecting with those gatekeepers and and opening those those channels yeah that that was around about 2009 when we'd been doing a Tani Raba was working for Dash then as an employee and she did a development program with artists and one of the questions they said how do I get my work shown in any of the regional galleries and we realized that we didn't know how to do that we didn't know anyone in those galleries we thought we better start making some inroads here so we did go out in a very stroppy way really we had money we were offering money we went with the idea that they would hate us they wouldn't like us and so we went in in quite a sort of activist angry way we had to sort of repair stuff after that because people did want to work with us but we didn't really trust them it was an interesting thing because until you build up a relationship of trust which takes some time you feel that you're just going to get used. And mm. so we worked with Wolverhampton Art Gallery. We worked with Oriel Davis in Newtown in Wales. And, oh, what was the third one? It was The Public, which is gone now. So that they were three good galleries to work with. But we did things like we wouldn't hand the budget to the gallery. We kept hold of the money because we didn't trust them. And realized after that that we had to really change our way of working with galleries that it was fine but we went as the sort of knocking on the door asking them to let us work with them and we would bring all the money in we would do everything so it was quite like the poor supplicants at this sort of um, cathedral's door and i think we start to realize that we could after what we learned from that was that we could take more power and we could actually start selecting galleries, which was a real change that galleries would have to apply mm -hmm. to work with us. 
in that early time what what um what was the work that you were that you were putting in those galleries um so naomi lackmer got wolverhampton we had um catherine and aaron to sabled avant-garde in newtown and they did their camp dad which was a disabled travelers camp in the park which was which was brilliant the, the gallery really went for it and the council let them build the camp over two days and one of the workers there had a pony so she bought the pony they were allowed to have a fire as long as it off the ground so it and they had a couple of caravans so it, the, the premise of it was i think like for Catherine and Aaron living in London, that if it had happened in a park in London, there would have been some petitions being written about the, you know, the gypsies in the park, get them out. But because they were in rural mid Wales, what was happening is travellers would come and say, how did you get permission to set your camp up here? Can you let us know who did that? Because <laughs> we always get chucked up. So the the sort of it was working opposite that people were really interested but also being um just letting this allow you know just letting it happen in the park that there was no petition started but it was great it was a great piece and it was also we had about six or eight um younger welsh disabled artists involved in the camp so there was about 10 people in the camp yeah yeah it, it, the the photos look um, look wild, um, and I, 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 Catherine and uh, and Aaron working together were always a, a, a kind of a, a force of nature, really. Um, yeah, I but, I loved working with both of them. I just found them always they were just great. They put so much time and energy, and and it's everything's built on humour, and I just. I think that's what I've always loved. I can't really take stuff that's heavy and serious because mm -hmm. I, I think there's something how humor is such a subversive art form. I, I, I totally agree. Uh, I think um, I think the visual arts are, are so rooted in this idea of patronage and you know the the canon of the history of art the language gets very dense and and uh impenetrable disability arts is 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 about it's it you know it's about real stuff in life and um if you can't put humor into that then then you know what 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 can what can you do yeah i, I realize saying that that can sound trite because sometimes what you need to talk about what you need to work on is is got a lot of anger if you know anger from dispossession and that's important to better put in there as well and it, it it may not be funny because it's so such a powerful piece of feeling that you have and what you know what it's telling your story how is how did your vision for dash evolve over the mm. years years that you were there because that 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 sort of um breaking down those barriers to the visual arts was as was key to that i i feel my first thought was making it up as i went along which was definitely a feeling of that at times and and try not to be scattergun but also being experimental trying out things that 
may not work or that they might be an idea that you'll use again later like we did an accessible transport scheme to there's a rural touring arts um, organization in the area called arts alive who do work in village halls and we worked with in one district of shropshire providing transport for anyone who wanted to get there and mostly it meant that people got a, a taxi from their home to the event and back again and it was like brilliant it was like being um having a chauffeur because you know if you, you wouldn't have gone to those events and paid for the taxi because it would have probably cost you 20 25 pounds just for the taxi and but that didn't get continued but it wasn't we learned a lot about um ideas like that but one of the things I felt was that we could have been pushed down a strategic road and, you know, being a representative, disability representative in lots of regional bodies. And I really didn't want that. It mm -hmm. just would have felt for me like a real death knell as us as an arts organisation. Uh, and it wasn't my skill. I can see they could have been important, but I knew that I had just got very frustrated by that sort of interminable meetings and policy planning. So I think the vision was always about being artist-led. I think when I came into it, I'd always, as working as an artist, I'd always felt organizations were very self-centered and the artists were like their servants and usually weren't properly paid and the conditions and all of that treatment was, wasn't great and I thought well if, God, if I'm leading an organization I could uh, that's one thing I can definitely do is make the artist the center of the organization and and try and have a proper pay rate and treat the artists properly as proper workers in the organization. Ta Tanya Weber um, I, I was first aware of her work sort of way back in the in the um in in the late 90s and uh uh you know she was making extraordinary collage at that time about um disabled women's bodies and mm. and uh, uh um sexuality and and uh, uh and the con control over women's bodies by by um the medical system and by the powers powers that be and there were very powerful images Tanya Rob Weber must be an artist that has been central to to disability art Shropshire. Yeah, definitely. And I think Tanya, she was a great co-worker and and she, you know, her she was developing her own work, but she was also really keen on developing Dash. So I mean she's a Dash trustee, she's a member of the board and has been for quite a while. So yeah, it, you really need critical friends, I think, all the time because none of us are perfect. We might think we are, but we you, you can because you think you've got a great idea or this the process you're working on is is good. And but just to have be challenged and step back and think, oh, okay, yeah, I haven't thought about that. I think for it to have the confidence of Dash becoming a visual arts organization, Tanya, I think, was fundamental in that because she brought that that true artist's knowledge and then as a disabled artist the two things together brought that confidence to move into the 
visual arts sector. And that there was always a participatory element to Tanya's work. Um, she always brings in that that participatory element and uh, in, in includes other um, less less experienced disabled artists in 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 you know uh, giving some experience and and uh, uh, showcase and uh, it's, it's, she's great absolutely. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I think I, it is really interesting talking about art school because she must be yeah a handful probably of disabled visualized from the time she was training at art school were, were you know feeling that they could get in and that they could survive it it's not that many and and that does make a difference i could i can really see so to have someone there as a sort of a role model and a mentor is really important can you can you kind of give us some um other favorite kind of projects and moments in your in in your time yeah well like awkward bastards was great i mean yeah. awkward bastards was another one that the first one was great and the second one i think was sometimes when you go back and try something and try and take it further it's almost like the mm, didn't quite it was too much we crammed too much into the second one the first one was just right it was like a proper meal but the concept as well um that to to bring different diverse groups together and different diverse sort of artistic leaders seemed really important and the 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 concept behind awkward bastards was that that as disabled people that we that we have to constantly kind of assert our um you know uh our right to be um do you want do you want to say a bit more about that yeah it's it's that i always said that it's that feeling you get in a room when you say um when either you start talking about the exclusion of disabled people or disabled artists or to say oh i define myself as a disabled person there's a sort of a quietness that goes and it's that awkwardness and and sometimes it can feel as strong as <laughs> i wish you weren't in this room actually you've made our comfort you've just come you've made us feel uncomfortable actually so it's that feeling of how nice you are and how much you don't want to upset people often just by your presence you're upsetting a a comfortable structure i guess it's that thing isn't it it's about the ableism of society so that you will always be a disruptor to that that mode unless it's really clearly stated this is not what this is about can you tell us a bit about who, who you brought to the first uh awkward bastards mm -hmm. conference well we had gary as the um compare because it felt like to stop it being a a boring event that had just speaker, 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 and it starts to get really wearing. We needed Gary to come in and keep a, a sort of an energy going and a sort of a, a, a humour in there. We had uh, David Turner, who's professor 
in Swansea University who'd just been on radio for on their disability history program. Mm -hmm. So he did the keynote speech around um, awkwardness and looked at particular historical examples of awkwardness. Um, we had Abbas Hussein, me, Gary Robson. We had Tony Heaton did a, uh, a whole piece. God, yeah. And, I, I, yeah, yeah. and then the afternoon starts to drift away. I can't remember what else we had. I didn't make the first one, but the, the second one at the Mac, mm. I, I remember the, the vacuum cleaner. He was particularly awkward. Oh, God, he was. He was. <laughs> he wouldn't use a mic. So it was really hard for the interpreters and then the people doing palantypists. And it was hard to hear him. His work in around sort of reimagining the asylum and, mm. you know, challenging psychiatry, I, I think it's been you know, very... A really important progress, really, and and you know, I think though for 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 people like myself who come from a, a, a mental health background and uh, coming into disability arts, there's always been a, a, a very strong hierarchy of impairment. Yeah, at, yeah, at, and um, the. The barriers and challenges that we face as as um, coming from a survivor background um, are have been very misunderstood and very difficult to to impregnate even you know the disability arts world and the va vacuum cleaner's done a terrific job I think of um, uh, challenging those barriers and 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 of opening things up. Yeah, because I met vacuum cleaner the first time when I was at Leeds Uni doing my MA in activism and social change and one of the modules was bringing in different um, activists to run workshops with us and he was brought in and he worked he'd been doing work with Reverend Billy from America who does a sort of an anti-consumerist church so he took us all out to do these different interventions in supermarkets and Primark and it felt like being in somewhere like Berkeley University in 1968 he, he had a real coherence about his ideas but at that time which would have been what like 2008 I think he was just finding it hard I think he just didn't want to be boxed and maybe still feels not be boxed put in one box and defined around that that I think he feels is definitely definition of who he is is much more holistic i can i can really see the value of that as well i th you know i think that disability arts to evolve um it ha has to become more nuanced and 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 challenge itself continually and and uh you know the boxing of things is uh it's really important to continually um question what that's about one one of the things that i've sort of been looking at in these few months of being at art school is that i think all our struggles are interconnected and they're not in competition that they're all supporting each other but it's hard to see that at times yeah. and sometimes i think particularly as disabled people we can feel really invisible in struggles that are happening but I think it's always important to remember like all of the land 
and environmental struggles are all our struggles as well because we're dispossessed from the land in the same way so that that sort of much more interconnected approach i think is the the sort of positive way for the future because because we have to sort of hold our core of who we are and what is important for us and our basic requirements that we need for ourselves to better do what we're doing but to not just be looking inward but interconnecting beyond ourselves going back to you know your 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 struggles through through your time at dash to kind of gain uh you know some some foothold in in the the gallery sector um how have you you kind of made the argument to those gatekeepers i think you must know this one but the people who want to hear what you've got to say will listen because they've thought about it in and if they haven't thought about it they're open to the idea and the people who don't want to hear it won't hear it so i think the statistics in the visual arts to speak for themselves what the arts council put out you can see anyone who looks can see how few disabled people are employed in any level in 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 galleries but particularly when you get to the senior level and how few disabled artists are shown uh, you've done a, a great job with the with the future curators program yeah how, how did those conversations evolve so the planning for future creators was was started way earlier than usual which i think has made the real difference in the fact that for the last nearly a year we've been working on setting up the working process and structures with the six galleries is so different to the first one and it's been really unusual so by the time it actually starts it will just it will feel like a project that's run by a a collective of galleries not not galleries that are working with dash but dash is leading dash is just the coordinator and i guess as an anarchist it seems to me like a great anarchist organization that people feel they've got a voice in it and that they they're helping to shape it so what my hope with things like that is that if truly people are engaged that then you should you hope that they would take that on and it would just be embedded in the organization so that mm. it doesn't it means that they're taking the work on and it will go on into different ways that they'll do in the future i and i i think that was really inspired that idea of putting disabled curators into galleries the, the whole notion of uh uh you know curating from a disability perspective yeah. I, I thought that was genius and um it, it it was so obvious as well that 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 they were they were the gatekeepers they were the ones who had the influence and um that was that was the way to sort of penetrate that that wall but it 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 feels to me that opening up um you know art history and looking in a more nuanced way at at how um 
artists' work reflects barriers. And and Wayworth was 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 uh, we are invisible, we are visible. The possibility there was really exciting of of tracing uh, the work of disability arts and the art of protest back to the Dada movement. Um, I I think that is very exciting. That idea that we can frame the work in in a way that the visual arts sector that the gatekeepers will understand because art school is so much about you know you have to learn this history of uh, uh it basically it's a history of collections and a history of patronage and it's not it's not about creativity it's about a history of of um bondage to where the money is um and i think disability arts kind of kind of framing itself around that that history of the art of protest that was that was that was a brilliant move on on your part yeah i think what uli said there was this perfect about the linking of of an art movement so that not that we we sort of latched on like a flea to the back of dada but we said look there is real interconnections here so like if you want if you want to treat us seriously then you can see that we aren't just a group of people in a uh, care, you know, in a residential home or a day centre. That this, this is a serious art form that has got roots that you can trace through. And it's such an unknown what influence um, something like Wayworth has, because I don't think you could ever really evaluate its impact, because so much of it is unknown. I think one of the things as well that I took take away from Wayweb was that the galleries didn't get paid a penny and they knew they weren't going to get, it wasn't like big, big sort of, you know, PR that was going to sort of, you know, like they're going to have an international artist that they can make. But they, those that were involved, 90%, if not 95% of them really went way beyond what I expected. I thought we were trying to keep their involvement to a minimum because they were getting no money and it feels like they're quite stretched. And they really, they went for it because they they loved the idea as well. And and I, th I think the, the audiences loved it as well. Yeah. I went to the Towner in Eastbourne and saw Andrea Mindell mm. uh, set up making her gold work piece in in the foyer of of the gallery and and um so all the audiences were were confronted and engaged with her immediately walking through the front door yeah and similar at the icon in birmingham with um aaron williamson the people hung around for a long time because in one hand nothing was really happening but it was so curious what was happening that people I thought a lot of people just would look in and then go straight out, but people spent a lot of time there. And then there was a place set up where to take photographs. And yeah, people were engaged with it in, in its oddity. Yeah. yeah, I loved the images of his dazzle costume. Yeah. Um, it was a, be a beautiful thing as well as, as being very, very funny and very, um, you know, having that historical connection as well to to uh, th that um, framing of of art and uh, yeah, 
yeah very cl really clever clever piece yeah yeah the classic aaron williamson isn't it i mean all the, the things that, like when he did our promo film when we had to do a presentation and he dressed as the invisible man and sang that song it's just i just loved it just and i knew that was a big part of why we got it because it was very funny <laughs> you were like it felt like for the people awarding the money they were like being offered this unknown treasure box that if they said yes it, it could only be great so yeah it was one amazing thing i laughed i laughed so much when i heard we were shortlisted because i never thought that would happen and then I laughed even more all day when I told we got it. I thought, what have they done? What have they done? <laughs> that doesn't usually happen to us in disability art that we should get awarded a massive prize, £150,000. It was like, wow. <laughs> yeah, a real, a real, um, uh, a, a, a real moment in, uh, uh, of uh, joy. Yeah. And, uh, uh and it was it was a it was a terrific project to be part of as well and uh uh i really hope waywav happens again i hope it's something that we can um think about collaborating you know with dash and, and maybe other organizations within disability arts sector yeah to, to to find funding to make it happen mike what's what's next for you what what are you i don't know I, I just think I'm probably going to start making more live art pieces, but I'm really also into textiles. I really like silkscreen printing and I'm teaching myself to use a sewing machine. And so, so I don't know. I I really look forward to seeing some of the, some of the results and, uh, um, are, are, are you, are you going to, to blog or post um some of some of your uh creations i sh i should do that shouldn't i i guess i will you should take out take up a blog on dow yeah okay okay i'll do that uh, i i also <laughs> should start an instagram page but oh god i'm such a i'm just not a great um i've got much better actually since i've been at college with digital work but i'm just somehow yeah it some people are really good at, at creating their digital profile and making sure everything's on there and putting all that effort in. I'm just a bit lazy, I think. I, th I think it's wonderful that you've, you've after all this time at Tash, you've 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 gone back to um, being an artist, and uh, the aspiration to be an artist is something that I've has never left me. I've kind of yeah. spent all my life trying to get there, but it's hard to get the time isn't it when an energy when you, when you've got your tasks in your job and it, it's uh it, it's such a um it, it's a it's a the 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 thinking process is the the thinking hat you need yeah uh it, it's um <clears throat> you know you need you need to sort of put the practical thinking processes aside and and really go into the more creative side of the brain um and um it's not something that's easy to switch on and switch off i think yeah and you need space and time for that mm, yeah what's really interesting yeah. i think is 
in the difference of when we were younger and because I'm working alongside 18 to 19 year olds who are doing their foundation which is great to be in that mixed age of people in the 50s 60s and people in 18 19 and and that real change about people self-identifying in their sort of gender and sexuality and then how many neurodive we've always known that so many artists and art students would be neurodivergent but how it's big more and more students acknowledge it and talk openly about it slight uncomfortableness when people talk about their something so personal but it's it's definitely it's happening and i'm just thinking that wouldn't have happened maybe even 10 years ago so yeah i find that really hopeful that feels like a really good note to to bring the conversation to to a close uh, it's been a delight as always to talk to you mike uh, and uh, i hope that we can we can continue um a conversation from time to time um uh, i look forward to to engaging with you more and uh, uh a, a big thank you to all of our audience for listening in on the uh disability and podcast and um um any any last words mike no just to say as ever it's was really brilliant just chatting with you because it just feels like we've got so many things where we fire each other off yeah so thank you thank you for listening we do hope you enjoyed this episode of disability and please join us next month when mind the gaps associate producer paul wilshaw chats with freelance actor rob ewins about his success and some of the stories and experiences he's had over the years 